today, as I set up this series, while every year we close out the year by building our faith, our approach this year is going to be a little different. The, the perspective that I want to give is, is different than I've ever talked about before. And what I want to build in your life over the next several weeks is this principle that has been foundational and formative in my walk with God. Now, I've shared this before. I tend to jot down different truths that God has shared with me that are kind of like life lessons or life keys or whatever you want to call it, these, these life principles that I live by. The last time I shared one of these uh, was earlier this year. We did a series called Modern Art, and I talked about the art of the exit. And so you might remember I had this door. And, and, and the life key was that how you end one season determines how you start the next one. The reason I share that is because that message was so powerful and pivotal in people's lives. It's actually the most shared message that I've ever given. I'm praying that today, as I share one of these things with you, this truth, that is just as impactful, just as powerful and life-changing as I believe that was. Yet I have to acknowledge, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, in the 11 years I've been doing this, I've never shared what I'm gonna share with you like I'm gonna share with you today. And I, I think if I'm honest about it, maybe I was shy to do it. Maybe I was a little bit apprehensive. Maybe I, I thought you wouldn't understand. But what I'm gonna share with you is one of the most powerful, formative, foundational principles that has shaped my walk and relationship with God. And I, I know when I say that, you're kind of wondering, man, what is this? I, I'll tell you, for some of you, this is not going to be new. Some of you already know this. And as much as you know, I believe what I'm going to share with you is going to strengthen this truth in your life. For some of you, it's not only going to be new, it might be a little challenging because it's going to be different than maybe what you thought about God. And then for others, maybe it's not new. Maybe it's something you're familiar with, but you've never really embraced this. You've never really lived it out. And what I'm going to share with you, it might just be a small tweak on something that you've known. But what I've learned is that small hinges are what swing big doors. And it might just be a, a little difference from what you've previously thought. But I learned that little keys open big vaults. And so it might seem small, it might seem little, but I believe it's going to be powerful in your life. And to introduce this concept to you today, and really where we spend the next five weeks, I want us to begin by looking in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7. Matthew chapter 7 says this, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Because for some people who ask, they receive. And occasionally when you seek, you find. And once in a while, you can't count on it, but occasionally when you knock, the door will be open. That's what your says, right? Is that what's on the screen? Okay, let me try this again. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Does that sound a little better? Okay, all right, just making sure you're with me. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in this passage that we're looking at here, there's a little bit of context I should give you. First of all, Jesus is talking about prayer and he's saying, when you pray, there's some things you gotta know. When you go to God, you can pray and you can approach him with confidence. And then he goes moving from prayer to talk about the character and the nature of God. He says, you need to know that your heavenly father is a good God. He loves to give good gifts. Then from there, he moves into a kingdom principle. And he says, for this reason, you should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, most of us have probably heard that before. It's often referred to as the golden rule. The golden rule is not a, a biblical term. It's just called the golden rule because it, it is amazing how Jesus has summed up the entirety of the Old Testament with this one phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the thing you should know is that this statement is unique. I know it's often said that this is a common phrase throughout the ancient world, throughout any kind of moral philosophy, but you gotta understand the way Jesus says it is unique. This is not some ethic of reciprocity. Yes, there were ancient teachers that had said something similar, but in each of those instances, they stated it in the negative, which is a passive responsibility, meaning don't do to others as you would not want them to do to you. It's passive. Jesus flips it. He takes the entirety of the Old Testament, that's the law and the prophets, says, you wanna know what the kingdom is like? Here's what it is. Do unto others, you would have them do unto you. It is a proactive principle. It's a principle. That's why I call it the, the golden rule. It's a principle, it's not, it's not a promise. And I need to make that distinction because sometimes I think we can approach this concept of, well, you know, if I treat somebody good, they're gonna treat me good. If I do something nice for somebody, they're gonna do something nice for me. But Jesus never said that they would. <laughs> he didn't say you could expect that. He just said, just do unto others as you would that they would do unto you. It's the golden rule, this golden principle. Today, what I wanna to talk to you about, I'm gonna call the golden promise, the golden promise. And I made that up, it's not technically called that. This is just my word, the golden promise. But before I can get into the core of this message, I really need to share with you my heart for how this message came to be. See, earlier this summer, my wife and I were leading a group in our home and uh, I was piloting some material that is now uh, Leadership Essentials. You might not know what that is, but we have at our church something called Essentials. That's everything you need to know about what it means to be part of our church, to equip you to be part of our church. If you haven't gone through Essentials, I'm telling you, you should, you should go. It's gonna help you know if this is the church for you, it's gonna help you get connected. It's gonna help you uh, 
make some connections with people. So go to Essentials. It happens every Sunday after church. That's, that's Essentials. But Leadership Essentials, this is everything you need to know to be a leader in our church. And we have since launched it, and it's, uh, it's invitation only. You have to apply. Not everybody gets in. We've got 16 people that are going through it right now. Are there any Leadership Essentials people in here? All right, we got one. Okay. I don't know where the rest of them are at. But one thing I know is that we've been talking about bringing enthusiasm in church, right? So are there any leadership essentials people in here? No. Okay, we're going to talk about showing up to church. But so leadership essentials, it's, it's been good. And I was piloting this material this summer uh, with a group of about 10 people. And as we're going through it, everything you need to know to be a leader in our church. Like, what are the qualifications of a leader? And what does it mean to carry the culture? And what does it mean to live an honorable life and to reflect Jesus in our lives, to be Christ-centered, all these different things. And you got to know, like in this, uh, it is no holds barred. I'm very candid. We talk about theology. We talk about sexuality. We talk about personal difficulty. We talk about all these different things. And because uh, I want to make sure people are equipped to lead well in our church. And this summer, we were talking about bringing our first and best enthusiastically, what that looks like. And I asked the question, as people who are in our living room, people I care about, people I love, I said, when I say the word tithe, what feelings come up in your body? Then I listened for the next 10 minutes as each person in our home said things like shame, guilt, anxiety, embarrassment. Now understand, these are people that I love. These are people that I care about. These are people that either were leading in some capacity or had the potential to lead in some capacity. And I bring this question and they say, this is the feeling that comes up when I hear that word. And I realized and this is in the context, we're talking about being enthusiastic about bringing our first and best. And it's not that these people weren't giving, it's not that some of them weren't even tithing, but they definitely weren't enthusiastic about it. In fact, they were very sheepish about it. And it broke my heart because I believe if you really understood what I'm gonna share with you today and what we're gonna dig into over the next several weeks, if you really understood it, I believe I couldn't keep you from giving. I honestly believe that. I couldn't stop you. That there would be something inside that I want to do this. It would be one of the ultimate joys in your life. If you were really able to grab hold of what I want to show you today, and over the next several weeks, I'm telling you, there is nothing that'll bring you more joy. I think God knows about me. I love to give. I do. I love to give. And the reason I love to give is because I know what it does. I know what it does for me. I know what it does in me. I know what it does through me. But before I can talk about this truth that's been so core and so foundational to the way I relate to God, to the way I know God, I need you to first understand this, is that God likes to give. God likes to give. I get it. Some of us are givers by nature. You ever hear the five love languages? That's not biblical, by the way. It's just, you know, 
somebody wrote a book about it, but the five love languages, it's a good paradigm. There's things that are helpful. Five love languages, what, what is it? You know, there's like, there's uh, acts of service, okay? I'm just wanted to figure out what everybody's love languages. There's acts of service, there's gifts, yeah, and gifts person over here. Words of affirmation, yeah? Touch, quality time. All right, there's five of them. Yeah, so acts of service, gifts, quality time, touch, words of affirmation. I've noticed like over the last several years, I've become more of a gifts person. I blame Marissa. <laughs> She's always like gifts and I don't know when it switched for me, but over the last number of years, probably since we've been married, I I've learned that I like to give gifts to people. It's become a part of who I am. And uh, I don't know that it's my dominant love language, but definitely when I think about how can I show care and affection to somebody, one of my first thoughts is, what can I give them? I wanna, I wanna show them my appreciation, my love for them. Here's what I learned. Do you know God's love language is gifts? God is a gift giver. You don't believe me? The most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved that he Let's try that again. For God so loved that he gave. Yeah. So God's love language is gifts. And when I say God likes to give, I need to specify that just a little bit more. God likes to give to you. Let's try saying this together. Let's put this on the screen. Why don't you say this with me? God likes to give to me. Can I hear you say that? Try it on the count. One, two, three. You sounded so enthusiastic. <laughs> now, some of you didn't say that, and that's because like, you're never gonna participate in church no matter what I ask you to do. <laughs> but there's others of you who didn't say it because you're like, uh, I don't really know. Can I really say that? Is, is that true? Isn't that sacrilegious? I mean, I gotta tell you, PJ, you are starting, you're just teetering the line of sounding like late night cable televangelists here. Oh, I need to know where you're going. Hang with me. I've talked about way more uncomfortable, controversial stuff from this platform before. Let's look at this again. Matthew 7, 11 is the verse we started with. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, think about this for a minute. This cracks me up because he starts out by saying, Hey, you parents, you're evil. Can you imagine if we did child dedications this way? Hey, before we get up here, look at these evil people. <laughs> About to dedicate their children. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, here's something that's very natural for each one of these parents up here. Their motives are not always pure. Their actions are not always just or moral. The, the, the way they think their perspective is not always sincere or righteous, yet each one of them up here still has a desire to give good gifts to their children. And if that is an authentic desire for you, who by nature is selfish, 
how much more God, who by nature is unselfish, rich in mercy, rich in grace, whose very nature scripture repeatedly says he lavished his riches upon us. I think we put these on screens, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. He graciously gives us all things, richly provides for us all things to enjoy, who every good and perfect gift comes from him, and he doesn't change. That's who he is. And there's just four that I've selected. There's lots of these in scripture. I want you to understand that God likes to give. He's a giver by nature, and he likes to give to you. Let's try this again. God likes to give to me. Can you say that? God likes to give to me. And I know the reason you might be a little uncomfortable with this is the same reason I've never shared it with you this plainly in 11 years of ministry. Is because I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying. I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. But when this summer I had 10 people in my living room who I love, who some of them are leaders, some of them have potential to lead in our church, tell me that their dominant feelings around giving is guilt, shame, and anxiety, it was clear to me I've done a disservice to our entire church when it comes to this subject. So before I go any further, let me explain to you what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about, because I want to give as much clarity as I can. And I can tell some of you get a little nervous. It's all right. Anytime we over spiritualize, I would say, anytime we overemphasize a truth, a spiritual truth in scripture, we run the risk of getting into error. So the any area. I gave an example of this about six weeks ago. This is a scriptural truth. God is love. How many believe that? God is love? Yeah, it's good. Two times in the Bible, in 1 John, God is holy over 600 times all throughout the Bible. Doesn't mean God's not love, but we've overemphasized God is love, underemphasized God is holy. And I think I've overemphasized the responsibility of giving and underemphasized the reward. So let me explain this to you. When we overemphasize something, we run the risk of getting error. Let me clarify what I'm talking about, what I'm not talking about. If your gospel is one that says God works for us and exists to make us happy and rich, that's a false gospel. If your theology is such that it doesn't allow for suffering as a part of your faith and walk with God, that's a bad theology. If your faith is such that it equates material wealth to spiritual maturity, that's a misunderstanding of faith, okay? And I need to be really clear on this because the reality is that we live for God, not the other way around. Our lives are laid down for him. We don't live to accumulate riches on earth. We live to accumulate riches in heaven. That's got to be a priority. Clear on that? Okay. On the other hand, 
if your gospel says that wealth and material blessings are evil, that's a false gospel. If your theology is such that it marks poverty and minimalism as a sign of spiritual maturity, that's a bad theology. If your faith equates expecting to receive from God when you give with greed, wrong motives, and manipulation, that's a misunderstanding of faith. A fundamental part of being a Christian is this belief that God wants you to prosper. Am I clear on that? Did I, am I confusing anybody? You can get in a ditch on either side, but I want you to notice scripture says this. Third John, verse two, says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God's not against you prospering. It's not bad to be blessed. It's not evil to be blessed. It's not even bad to want to be blessed. In fact, I could tell you that if you don't ask for blessing, that in nature by itself is selfish. Because you've got no vision beyond for yourself. You're not thinking about how you could be blessed to bless others. That's the very nature of blessing. So this is not a trick question, but it's the next part of this message. How many of you want to please God? This is not a trick question. Okay, I'm looking for any hands that aren't up because I'm gonna give you an invitation to receive Jesus for the end of this message, all right? Let's try again. How many of you wanna please God? You wanna please God? Okay, this is great. Some of you didn't raise your hand, I'm coming for you. You wanna please, that's good. We should all wanna please God. That's the nature of the Christian life is to want to please God at its core about living in a way that brings God glory. I don't know if you ever thought about the things that please God. I mean, worship pleases God. Obedience pleases God, right? Justice pleases God. All those are things that please God. But there's this fundamental element you must have to please God. Here's what it is. Faith. Okay, I can tell you don't believe me. Let's look at Hebrews 11 verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Look at this next part. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a... What? You want to please God. You have to believe that God is and that he is a... I'm not making that... You better bring your Bible and look this up for yourself. If you want to please God, you need to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. You need faith. Your, your faith should result in two things. I'm not suggesting these are the only two things. I'm just saying they're foundational. That you need a recognition of his presence. That he is. He not was, not will be, he is. And an expectation of his character. You wanna please God, keep this in mind. It's not wrong to expect something from God. It's not evil to expect something from God. On the contrary, I please God when I expect to receive from him. I know some of you have never thought this in your life before, but this is what it says. Without faith, 
it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I please God when I expect to receive from him. Let that sink in for just a moment. Not when I expect to receive from a person, but when I expect to receive from him. Now, last night, I put out one of my late night Instagram polls. I was very pleased by the response. And uh, I should, you know, probably give an offering to everybody who answered because you helped me out so much with my sermon. Uh, but fortunately, most of you didn't expect to receive anything. So I asked this question on, on Instagram and it was intentionally vague, intentionally vague. So no shame, there's no wrong answer because really I could make a case for any of them. But, but the question was, essentially fill in the blank, expecting to receive when you give is, and just had a lot of things for people to enter in the, the blank. And I, I could make a case for any of those. There's no wrong answer. Really, it has to do with your, your frame of reference. What's the context of the question? And who do you expect to receive from? Because if you're giving with the expectation to receive from another person, that could be manipulation. Could be. I'm not saying it is, I'm saying it could be. If you're giving with the expectation to receive something from the person that you gave to, that could be considered a wrong motive. It could be. I'm not saying it is, I'm saying it could be. If I do good to you with the intention that you're gonna do good for me, I could say, that's business. That's contracts. That's the world system. I get all that. But yet God says, if you want to please me, when you come to me, I want you to know me as a rewarder. And to know me as a rewarder is to expect to receive from me. Oliver, will you get up here for a minute? So Oliver is my middle son. And uh, run up here, boy. All right, but don't trip. So Oliver's my, my middle son. He's a great, good-looking kid. You, get, you look nice today. It's a good outfit. We always judge each other on our outfits. And uh, one thing you might not know about Oliver, he is my Sunday assistant. So on Sunday, he comes with me to church. He uh, carries my iPad or my computer for me, opens the door for me, does all, you know, whatever I need, right? That's kind of your job. Um, do I pay you for this job? No. No, it's just, you just do it because like it's a good thing to serve, right? Okay, but yesterday he wanted to come to church with me and uh, I was coming here doing some stuff and I said, hey, since you're coming with me, there's some balloons that were left out from Superhero Sunday. I want you to uh, clean all those up for me and I'm gonna give you $5, okay? And, um, and did you clean all those up for me? Yeah. yeah. You did, okay. And did I give you $5? Yes. Okay, now, was that greedy of you to expect me to give you $5? No. Okay. Was that a wrong motive for you to expect me to give you $5? No. Why not? Because you said if I would do it, then you would pay me. Because I told you I was gonna do it. So it wasn't wrong for you to expect it. Okay, if he can understand that about his father, why can't you understand that about your father? 
Okay, you can go. I'm just trying to help you understand that this is why it's actually important that you expect to receive from God because when you don't, that's when it becomes manipulation. When you start doing something to earn favors with people, that's manipulation. When you start giving so this person will treat you different or you can build a relationship with them, that's manipulation. Expecting to receive from God when he's told you you can expect to receive from him is not greed, is not manipulation. The reward system is actually a kingdom concept. Think of all of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, anytime God says, you do this and I'll do this. You do this and I'll do this. Reward system. Look at Jesus. Jesus gave rewards. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus said to the woman at the well, anyone who drinks of the water I will give them will never thirst. Reward. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Reward. Jesus gave rewards. So I, I want you to shift this idea that it's wrong to expect something from God. Think about it this way. I can tell you're still not with me. If somebody, put it this way, is it greedy to expect forgiveness when you confess your sins? No. Can you imagine if after service today, somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I want to give my heart to the Lord. Will you pray for me that God will bring peace in my heart? That God will forgive me? No. You better do that without expecting anything. I can't pray that, greedy person. Now, if we understand that about the nature of God, the only place where we get this messed up is when it comes to our money. And this is the heart of what I wanna share with you because over the next several weeks, really, I wanna teach you how to receive from God and how to expect to receive from God. In fact, I almost call this message the golden secret. I really struggled with a, a title for this message. I almost called it the golden secret because the secret is that what I'm talking to you about is kind of hidden in the title. Do you have like the, the, the series title, just open-handed? It's kind of hidden in this message. Because I wonder when you hear open-handed, what do you think? If you think giving, you're right. I mean, that's what open-handed means. It means generous, it means to freely give. And yet, what I learned is that I can't really be open-handed if I'm not willing to also receive. Will you get that for me, Josh? I need both help from my Joshes. Josh, yes, will you get up here? To be open-handed, that was amazing, by the way. You give you a round of applause. <laughs> They're not impressed. Are you not entertained? All right, to be open-handed is just as much, you notice he doesn't come up, he just slides that on there. To be open-handed is just as much about receiving as it is giving. If I'm not open-handed, or I can't be open-handed if I'm not willing 
to also receive. So I want to teach you to be a receiver. I think I'm playing you in fantasy football this week. <laughs> teach you to be a receiver. So I've noticed like, you know, it's, it's a struggle to receive if you don't get open. There's only so much you can do. Look at this guy. But Josh, I want to encourage you to get open. Get open. No, no, yeah, get, get rid of those. We need to. You still got one in your hand. You need to get open. Because there's not a, there's not a shortage of supply. But you can't receive unless you get open. So I'm saying, okay, pastor, are you just saying that we give to get? No, 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 no. I'm saying, get open. That you get to give. We get to give. This is, thank you, appreciate that. This is what I'm, I'm trying to, I want you to see. We get to do this. We, we get to give. And, and this is where I want to give you not the golden rule, but the golden promise. Because the, the rule is a principle. But what I'm going to show you is a promise. It's found in Ephesians 6, 8. It's not the only place that it's found. But Ephesians 6, 8, this is what it says. Remember, whatever good thing anyone does, that he will receive back again from the Lord. Not the golden rule. This is the golden promise. This changes everything for me. It means I'm looking to meet a need. I'm looking for opportunities to give. I, I know I can't meet every need. I know I can't give to every person. But I want to be a giver because I know what it does. I know what it does for me. I know what it does in me. I know what it does through me. I guess some of us were givers by nature, others of us aren't. I am. But we get to do this. Some of you think, well, yeah, but I don't have anything to give. You misunderstood what I've been talking about. You missed the point. Can you pray? You can pray. Can you encourage someone? Can you be present for someone in their time of need? Can you communicate care for somebody? Can you give somebody public credibility? See, this truth, this concept makes it so easy to help others. Because here's the truth. People might leave you unrewarded, but God will never leave you unrewarded. This is the truth. I'm not giving to get something from people. I'm not giving so somebody will do something nice for me. I'm not trying to build a relationship. I'm not trying to incur favor. I'm giving because I want to be a blessing. And I recognize that when I do this, God will not leave me unrewarded. He won't leave you unrewarded. I wish you could get this like God gave it to me. Not that person. God doesn't say you're gonna get it from where you gave it. 
but you'll get it from how you gave it. I'll put it this way. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Because our faith reveals God's faithfulness. I grew up in the Methodist church and um, you know, sometimes I think we just get giving all wrong. We think that, you know, we're giving for that person. We're giving to meet a need. When we give offerings in the church, we're giving to fund the ministry. And you know, all that stuff is definitely a part of it. But I remember growing up in the Methodist church, they would pass these gold plates through. They'd come down the center aisle and they would present it to the minister and the minister would turn and he would put it on the altar. And I always loved that image because it was a reminder of who we're giving to. We're giving to God and God will not leave you unrewarded. It is an impossibility if you approach him with faith. He expects you to expect to receive from him. That's what pleases him. So I want to say a prayer for you today. Would you bow your head?